Hello, my name's Don Love, and I'm the interim student and family pastor here at Grace. And we're uh, continuing a series on uh, Paul's letter to Timothy, 2 Timothy. It's his last letter of all of his letters, and he's writing to Timothy from prison. So I want to start off just talking a little bit to those of you who've had the privilege of being parents. And you you know that feeling that you have whenever you send your kids out, and you know that they're going to be in situations that they're going to have to make their own decisions, and the world's going to be pulling them in different directions. And you don't know the decisions they're going to make, but you're just really hoping that the things that you've instilled in them are going to stand. And you hope that that they do, but if, if they stand, but if they don't, then an odd thing happens as parents. We actually suffer, sometimes more than the children do, for some of the decisions they made. We think, how did you make that decision? We're, we're suffering because of this. And you know, as spouses, you can feel this a little bit as well. Your spouse says something, and you're like, why would you say that? Look at you know, those of you who are good at, at, at uh, nurturing people around you and having to uh, put out the fires that your spouse actually started. You understand this. But there's this sense in which we suffer for other people's actions. And children, I don't know that you know this necessarily, because you think you're living your own life, you think you're making your own decisions, and therefore your own actions should be your own actions. But the thing is, you can't always pick the consequences. You can't always pick who is hurt by what you did. And you might think, well, why would anybody be hurt by this? It was my own decision. It's my own life. I'm going to stand in judgment before God. It's just my own life. But you, get, you don't get to pick that. You get to pick the decisions you make, but you don't get to necessarily pick who it hurts. And so when we look at 1 Timothy, if you guys will open up, sorry, 2 Timothy um, chapter uh, 1, 13 through 18 is what we're going to be focusing on. But if you look at 1 Timothy 1, 2, Paul calls Timothy my true son in the faith. And then if you look at 2 Timothy 1, 2, he calls him my dearly beloved son. And so if you're reading through the text for the first time and you hit this passage here and you don't really understand what it's like to be part of the family of God and why people call each other brothers and sisters in Christ, This is kind of odd language here. But there's something that you need to know about pastors. There comes a point that as a pastor, as a shepherd, as an elder, whatever you call it, there comes a point where you become part of our dearly beloved children, our true children in the faith. And your decisions then hurt us. And you might think, well, it's my choice, it's my decision, I'm the one who's going to stand before God in the future. But that's, that's not the way it works in a healthy family. And that's not the way that it works in a church. And so Paul is here in prison, and he is evaluating some of the things as far as he's watching people leave him, and he's wondering specifically with Timothy, how is he doing? How is his choices going to continue on? And the hard thing about a pastor, if you're somebody who has lots of spiritual children, well, then that's lots of opportunities to have spiritual hurt. So the more children that you have, the more opportunity there is to have pain. So the more, and the longer you've been in ministry, the more pain you have to suffer through and process through, and it becomes this painful thing. So turn with me to 2 Timothy 1, 13 through 18, and we're going to look at this passage. Again, this is Paul's second Roman imprisonment. First one wasn't so bad. He's preaching the gospel from morning until night. The second one here, he's in a very cold, hard-to-find cell, begging people to bring him a coat and something to read. So let's look here, 2 Timothy 13, 1, 13 through 18. Retain the standard of sound words which you've heard from me, and the faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. Guard through the Holy Spirit who dwells in us the treasure which has been entrusted to us. You're aware of the fact that all who are in Asia turned away from me, among whom are Phygelus and Hermogenes. The Lord grant mercy to the house of Onesiphorus, for he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. 
But when he was in Rome, he eagerly searched for me and found me. The Lord grant him and find mercy from the Lord that day, that you uh, know very well what service he rendered at Ephesus. So in verse 13, he's pleading with Timothy to hold on to sound words. So the sound words he's talking about are his teachings, but of course at the center of Paul's teachings is the gospel of Christ. And when he talks about sound words, this is a building term. It's a, talking about things like if you say a foundation is sound, it means you can build a house on it. If a wall is sound, it means it's going to hold the roof and it's going to be safe inside. In the same way, if we have sound words, they're words that you can build your life on. And so when Paul is in prison, he's having all these people abandon him. On his mind is, is Timothy going to abandon me too? And he's encouraging him to go back to those sound words. And he's finding himself very much like a parent who is at home, empty nesting, but in this case, a lot worse. And then at this point, Timothy is out and he's wondering, how is he going to do? But I want you to note when Paul talks about him holding to these sound words, he actually qualifies this a bit. He wants him to walk them out in faith and in love, which are in Christ Jesus. Because it's not just so important about what we believe, it's how we believe them and how we walk these things out. So this, this statement about faith, holding it in faith, is very dissimilar to those of you who've been in church a long time, where you've heard it say about the difference between head knowledge and heart knowledge. And Paul is encouraging him that these things that he's taught needs to become so much a part of his faith, so much a part of his belief, that they're intuitive and second nature, just at the core of his faith. And the second part is he wants him to hold these things in love. And so it's, it's interesting, if we look at this, we can see a lot of the problems that are in churches everywhere. If we were just to hold to sound doctrine, that's not enough. We need to hold them in faith in some way that transforms our lives to ultimately be walking in the love of Christ. And so how many of us, our own experience, either people to us or away from us, think of a time where someone had all the right things to say, but the way that they said them kind of turned you off and almost put a stumbling block ahead of you receiving the truth at that point. And so it's so important for us to be speaking the truth in love. 1 Peter 3.15 says, Always be prepared to give an answer to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that you do. A reason, but yet do this with gentleness and with respect. And Jesus said in Luke 6.45, The good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good, and the evil person out of the evil treasure produces evil. For out of the abundance of your heart, your mouth speaks. So, What's interesting is you'll hear people recount stories, and you'll, they'll recount the story of something that happened to them in their life. And as they do this, often they want themselves to be the hero. Most people don't tell these as stories when they're the villain in the stories. They always think they're the one who's right, and they want you to agree that they're right. And they'll get frustrated with you if you don't agree that they're in the right in this story and the way they tell it. And often, you could have a transcript of what exactly said, but the tone is how it comes into this. And some of us, it's just so hard because we're so focused on words that we don't get the tone. But even just taking a simple sentence, like you lost the game, and we change the emphasis just on the word, not even putting emotion into it, just change the emphasis. If we say, you lost the game, well, there's some blame in that. If you say, you lost the game, there's, there's an emphasis on your, your bad actions. You lost the game. You know, well, it's a big game. You lost the, of all games to lose, you lost this game. And now I lost my mic. Let's see. <laughs> one, two, one, two, one, two. We got it back up? One, two, let's get it. One, two, one, two, one, two, one, two. What, what? We got it? One, two, one, one, two. All right. And, or you lost the game. You know, you didn't lose just part of the game. You lost the whole game. And it's not even putting the emotions into it. 
And so what's hard, often, the conversations that we think we're having with people, if we were to watch it from a third person, over from the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. And many of us are just clueless about the actual conversation, about what actually happened in the room. Um, that's, that's what's so great to have a spouse, because they're often there doing damage control, figuring out, at least in my case, figuring out what was actually heard when you said that. And sometimes you, it wasn't your fault in your tone at all. It was the way the person is apt to receive something in receiving that tone. So our hearts express emotions through tone, often so much so the tone betrays um, the heart. So uh, this is why it's so important for Paul to instruct Timothy not only to hold to sound words in faith, but also to hold them in love. So some of us have gotten to the point where our faith, we've, we've got the sound words, we know the scriptures, we're holding to them. Some of us haven't gotten that far. You know, but we need to get the sound words, we need to hold on to them in faith, but at some point it needs to transfer over into love in our walk. And Paul says in Corinthians, if you don't have love, then you're nothing. So don't, I don't want you to take that all disempoweringly, but there is a point where if you think you're something in your faith, when you don't have love, well, then you're nothing. And so you might know all of Scripture, but, and you might hold it in faith, and you might have a salvation to it. It might be powerful in your life, but if you haven't gotten to the point where it's in love, well, then the power of the Scriptures, it's like you, you're wielding the sword around, but it's still in the sheath. Yes, it's a double-edged sword, but do you know how to hold it? And are you going to hurt others with it? The Word of God in the hands of the enemy is a powerful tool. And we have to be very careful because even out of your mouth, the enemy can grab it and use it as a weapon against others. So in verse 14, Paul reminds Timothy that he's not alone. The Holy Spirit lives within him and helps to guard the treasure which has been entrusted to him. So again, sound words. Part of that's the gospel. The rest of it's Paul's teachings. And in this, Paul's suggesting that the Holy Spirit within us helps us to hold fast to the gospel that we've received. Romans 8.16 tells us, that the Spirit himself testifies with our spirit in which we are God's children. So we've moved now from faith to love into mystery. There's a mystery here, this divine relationship of God living inside of us. Some people try to start off in mystery, and they bypass the truth, and they bypass faith, and they bypass love. And those people who started mystery and ended mystery, they seldom seem to end up on sound words. But it's so important for us to hold to the sound words and then hold them in faith hold them in love, and then realize there is this divine presence. Part of the mysteries that are in the scriptures themselves, when you start with the scriptures, is this indwelling of the Holy Spirit, and that the Holy Spirit is going to be inside you, leading you, guiding you, teaching you, reminding you. Part of it here is he's going to affirm this aspect of your salvation. So don't bypass that. You know, those of you who have, you know that at one point you walked in faith. You know at one point you walked in love, but now you're doubting, you're thinking about going away from sound words, the Spirit of God is still there. And in your life, there's a point where you have to differentiate between the enemy who comes accusingly and condemningly, and some of you think that's still the Holy Spirit who's condemning you. No, the Lord comes empowering you. So even if he tells you that you're wrong, conviction feels much different than the guilt and shame that the enemy brings upon you. So what Paul is encouraging Timothy here at this point is the Holy Spirit is still there with you. And as one who's speaking out of prison, feeling very alone, there's a comfort in that. That there's no matter, what you're, no matter what situation you're in, the Holy Spirit is still present within you to lead you back to this truth. So we see in verse 15 that Paul's plea to Timothy comes out of a, of a lament. Now you're aware of the fact that all who are in Asia turned away from me, among those are Phygelus and Hermogenes. So I wonder, have you felt like this? Have you felt, there's certain parts, and I think in our faith, especially once we start to step out in faith and we assume that just because we do good, people are going to stay with us. 
and they're going to want to be discipled or be taught by us, or they're going to want to be at least friends with us. And at some point, then, people leave you, and you feel by yourself and alone. And maybe you feel like you're being punished for doing good. That's the exact situation that Paul is in. So here's a little bit of a lengthy verse, but I think it's worth reading here. 1 Peter 4, 12 through 18, Peter says, Dear friends, don't be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come upon you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice inasmuch as you participate in the sufferings of Christ, so that you may be overjoyed when the glory is revealed. If you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you're blessed, for the Spirit of God rests on you. If you suffer, it should not be as a murderer or a thief or any other kind of criminal, or even as a meddler. However, if you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed, but praise God that you bear his name. For it is time for judgment to begin with God's household. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who don't obey the gospel of God? And if it's hard for the righteous to be saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? So then those who suffer according to God's will should commit themselves to their faithful creator to continue to do good. So you look at Jesus' teachings, you look at the other apostles, you look at Paul's writings, he expected to suffer. But what we never expect is to suffer at the hands of our friends, our fellow church members, those people that we were discipled by and taught. But those are the ones that are going to hurt the most because they're closest to us. And so Paul actually even goes as far as listing the names of some of these people in the, in the letters. It seemed like it's so cut off from these people. It's so solid here at this point that, that, this is, that they've fallen away. He actually even lists them in his letter. These are some of the people. But he doesn't just say two people. He says all of Asia. It doesn't feel alone. It's like the whole continent. Whatever continent you're in, all of America, all of North America has abandoned me. You know, imagine saying that. That's, that's a very alone place that Paul feels here. But... He continues on. I don't know if you've ever made statements like this. You say, all of this place has abandoned me. And you remember, well, wait a minute. That's not really fair. Um, Onesiphorus is here. There's one guy, Onesiphorus. He sought for me. He found me. He refreshed me. I don't know if this is an afterthought of Paul. I wonder as he wrote this. He's like, well, like, and, you know, Onesiphorus. I mean, it's a little harsh. Onesiphorus was here. But it feels like it. It feels like everybody's abandoned me. So application of this. In summary, we're all someone's children, and we're all someone's spiritual ch- children, And so just as Paul encouraged Timothy to hold fast to the sound words they received in faith and in love, we too need to be conscious of how we're holding on to the truth. What we believe and how we believe affects our walk and how we walk out our faith, no matter whether, and it's going to determine whether or not we're going to bring joy or suffering to our earthly and heavenly parents. So how should we live in light of this this passage? First, we need to realize that our actions affect other people. As much as we aren't trying to hurt other people, as much as we feel like, ah, no one cares, no one else is around, no one's attached, people are attached to you from the other side. You might not feel attached to them, but they feel attached to you, and those things that you're doing are actually affecting and hurting them from a distance. So consider how are we holding the sound words. Those things you've been taught from your youth, those things you've been taught by faithful, reliable people, are you holding on to those sound words? Are you doing this in love and in faith? And consider, have you developed that inner life so that when things start to fall apart and you feel like you're all alone, are you able to get in tune with the Holy Spirit and have him affirm you and redirect you and show you the other people that are around? So consider, who are your spiritual children? Who are those that you've mentored along the way? Those that you need to reach out to and ask, how are you doing? And keep them accountable, bringing them back to the truth. 
And finally, I want to encourage those of you who are feeling all alone, you know, just like Paul felt, all abandoned by himself. But at the same time, there was an Esophorus that was there. So many times we're going to feel like we've not made a lasting difference in our lives. Maybe you're coming to the end of an era of your life, an end of an occupation, an end of something that you've just finished, and you're looking back wondering, did I do anything? Did I accomplish anything? Was it worth anything at all? Well, during those times, make sure you don't overlook the Onesiphoruses in your life. Don't say, oh, everyone is a band. No one's here. No one cares. No one. That's the enemy coming in and speaking to you. You know, look for those anesophoruses in your life, those who come in that are diligent. They might not be good at encouraging you in some ways, but they're there, they're persistent, they keep popping up. It might even seem annoying that they're popping up because the, the encouragers that we want aren't always the people that we think are the people that God should send because God uses the foolish things of this world to shame the wise. And sometimes you're going to be overlooking the encouragement that God is sending you right there. The Spirit of God is inside of us, and if we miss that, he often sends that anesophorus there for us. And so, by the way, if we look here and we continue the end of the letter, Paul has some other things to say about some other people who abandoned them. He mentions some more. But at the same time, he also mentions that Luke is still there with him. And Luke's been with him since the beginning of Acts. The whole way through his ministry, Luke is still there. There's those constant friends that are still there that pop up from time to time. And you, you have some of these. You talk to them every five years, and as you talk to them, it's amazing. If, once you get old enough, you'll know what this means. And, and at the same time, also, he says, and send Mark. Send Mark to me as well. And remember, Mark, he goes way back too. They split ways because they couldn't agree on where to go and Mark abandoned him. So now here's Paul abandoned again at the end of his life, at the end of his ministry. And he says, no, send Mark. He's useful to me. So don't think that your life, that this snapshot of what you're looking at, where you find yourself, is completely accurate. You have to back up. You have to let the Holy Spirit speak into you. There's a time to go back to the sound words. There's a time to go back to, am I holding this in faith? Am I holding this in love? And then look around and see who are these Onesiphoruses that are around you. All right, so let's digest this. Just a little bit in prayer. Last thing, we're going to pray about this and just see what the Lord brings up. All right, so let's just listen together on these things. This is just a time to take what you've heard and give the Lord an opportunity to help you digest this before you leave and forget everything that I said. So let's pray together. Lord God, we thank you for our parents. We thank you for our pastors. And we ask that you would guide us, that we might be truly one family, bearing one another's burdens, rejoicing with those who rejoice, and mourning with those who mourn. So Lord, we come to you today after this lesson and ask you to speak into our lives. So we come into a posture of listening we ask, would you bring our minds to rest and our hearts to peace, silencing any external distractions? First, Lord, I pray for all those that feel alone. Would you show them? Is it true that they're all alone? That no one's with them? Lord, are you still with them? If so, would you show them how? Just let your mind stay at rest. I know that's new for some of you, but let your mind be at rest, your heart at peace. And just as impressions come to you, just evaluate them. Let them come in. Is this from the Lord? Lord, would you show them 
Is there a Nesiphorus in their lives? Someone who is encouraging them right now? Would you bring it to them, their hearts and their minds, the way they can receive? Bring that person to them that's their encourager right now. And would you show us, Lord, where are the areas of our life where we're walking in sound words? And some of you, as these things come up, the Lord's just going to want you to work on this one area. Just stay there and pray with him about this. But, Lord, where are those parts you're pleased with us, that we are walking in sound words and faith and love? And where are those places we're not? And, Lord, would you show us who are the people that taught us these sound words? Lord, would you show us, is there anything that we need to do to encourage them? And who are the people that we have taught that we need to encourage? Would you bring them to our minds? If the Lord brings anyone to you, write that down. Put it on your list of things to do, people that you're supposed to reach out to, and just pray about it. How do I reach out to this person? Lord, if we are not following sound words, would you show us, are there any lies we're believing that are keeping us from the truth? Would you bring those to our hearts, to our minds? So let me encourage you in two ways. Write down the things that are coming to your hearts and minds. And then throughout this week, pray through some of those things. And don't hesitate to reach out to the prayer team to help you pray through things. Don't hesitate to reach out to fellow believers to help you pray through things. So let me close some prayer. Lord, we thank you for what you've begun. Lord, have mercy on us. To those who feel further, who feel fatherless and motherless, we ask that you would bring these relationships to fruition in this body, Lord, that we might find other people to be our spiritual fathers, our spiritual mothers. To those who are walking well, Lord, would you uplift them that they would continue in sound words and faith and love. And those of us who are doing imperfectly, We ask that your spirit would guard this treasure in us and lead us in it. Amen.